If you would please, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter number 17. We have been in a study, a series of studies, of the Lord's intercessory prayer, of which you find it recorded in John chapter number 17. Now, there are 12, there are, pardon me, there are 13 messages that we have prepared to bring for your hearing in this chapter. We've come to the 12th one. And we want to unite that also with the 13th one, the last one. We'll let this be the last study in this series on the Lord's intercessory prayer. That's series number 12 and number 13. And we're going to be reading from verses 22 through 26, John chapter number 17. And the glory which thou gavest me... I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me from before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. In a series of studies, there will always be some who cannot be present for all of the messages of that series, and that's the disadvantage to series sermons. But at the same time, there are many pluses and advantages to series sermons because you're on the same track week after week after week, studying carefully the words involved in the scripture that we have set before us, the Lord's intercessory prayer. Last week, we studied verses 20 through 21 which opened up this third division of the prayer, namely Christ praying for his believers. Verses 1 through 8, he prays for himself. Verses 9 through 19, he prays for his apostles and the immediate believers of that time. But in these last verses, verses 20 through 26... He begins by saying, neither I pray for these alone. He's letting us know he's praying for somebody else. Who's he praying for? For those who will be saved in the generations and in the years to come. Now in that 20th verse, he speaks with absolute certainty that after the cross and after the resurrection, there are going to be many to come to him for salvation. And they have 
come and have been coming consistently for the last 2,000 years. Their coming does not take our Lord by surprise, does it? That he sits on the throne and all the people over the last 2,000 years, millions and millions have come to know him. That does not take him by surprise because he knew they would come. He knew they would come and even prays for them before they came. Remember that little verse in John six thirty-seven: All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And 2,000 years later, they're still coming to him, all that the Father's given to him. Also notice that instrument by which it will happen in verse number 20, by which they will come to know the Lord. It will be through their word. The word of God, the gospel, has been preached for the last 2,000 years. Some of it more effectively than others. By effective, I mean sometimes people say they're preaching the gospel and there's a flaw in it. And there's a weakness in it. And there's an impurity in it. But the pure gospel of Jesus Christ has been faithfully preached on this earth somewhere at some time for the last 2,000 years. We come to verse number 22. We study this reading of verses 22 and up to 26, which concludes the chapter. Verse 22, again, what does it say? And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. Now, verse 22 speaks of two things. Two very important things. Number one, it speaks of God's glory being shared with us. God's glory being shared with us. The scripture says, the glory that you gave me, I have given them. That is a massive subject. God Almighty sharing his glory with those who've been saved by the grace of God. Question, what glory is this that the Father gives the Son and the Son gives it to us? In other words, what kind of glory does God share with his people? May I say to you negatively, first of all, that it is not his essential or natural glory. There is an essential natural glory of God and in the scripture depicts it and presents it in so many places. Turn if you would to Isaiah chapter 42 and when you get there put a marker because we'll be coming back to it. Isaiah chapter number 42 it speaks of the natural glory of God. Isaiah chapter number 42, verses 8 through 12. I am the Lord. That is my name. And watch it, church. My glory will I not give to another. There is a glory that God does not share with anybody at any place 
or at any time. Neither my praise will be given to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. Spring forth, I tell you of them. This God is an omnipotent, omniscient God. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing the praise to the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that are therein, the islands and the inhabitants thereof. Notice how expensive this natural glory of God is. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock sing, let them shout from the top of the mountains, let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. The absolute worship of the world one day to this God who created us, the glory of God. It is not his essential glory that he shares with us. God is Jehovah. He's the self-existent one. That is his name. He's the mighty creator of all things and deserves to be glorified by all of his creatures. That glory he will not share. This is the glory of the eternal Godhead. God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He'll never share that glory. Now, the Father possesses this glory. In the Holy Trinity, God the Father possesses this glory. Let me give you the reference. Jot it down. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Notice also that the Son of God possesses this glory. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3, it is speaking of Christ. These words, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Again, notice the Holy Spirit possesses this glory. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 14, For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. This is the natural glory of the Godhead, and he does not and will not share it. So that's not what he's talking about when he says, Christ praying, you give me the glory and I will share it and I will give it to them. Negatively, it is not the visible glory of God. This visible glory of God was manifested to Moses. Take a moment, if you would, please, to turn to Exodus chapter number 33. The book of Exodus chapter number 33 Verses 17 through 33, through 23, I'm sorry. Verses 17 through 23, Exodus 33. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, that is Moses is speaking to the Lord now. And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Lord, I want to know a little bit more about this glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. Jot that down. Underscore it. Thou canst not see my face, Noah, or Moses, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me. You'll stand upon a rock. It'll come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a clift or a split in the clift of the uh, of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Here the word face indicates the full exposure of God Almighty. It is not looking at a distance and seeing the form of a human being and saying, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure I recognize you. I, I see the form of a human, but close enough to see the very face of an individual. Do you remember when Peter, James, and John went with the Lord Jesus Christ atop Mount Transfiguration, the Transfiguration Mount? When he got up there, all of a sudden he was transfigured before their sight. That means he glistened. But you know another thing it says? His face was like the sun. Now, you can look a little bit toward the sun, but you cannot look continually at the sun because of its brilliance. Because of its glory. In other words, Moses got a modified view of the glory of God. Not a full exposure because no man could possibly have a full exposure of the face of God and live. So he's not going to share that glory with us. What kind of glory is he talking about? Rather, it is the acquired glory of God. The acquired glory of God. I told you when you got to Isaiah 42, put a marker there. Look at verse 1 and 13. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Now God is speaking of his servant Jesus Christ here. The one who would come, the chosen Messiah. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And notice also in that same reference, verse 13. 
the Bible says the Lord shall go forth, underscore this, as a mighty man. God shall go forth as a mighty man. That mighty man is Jesus Christ. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. And that's precisely what Jesus Christ did. It is the acquired glory of God. It is the glory which Christ earned while he was here on this earth. John the Baptist never earned it. No other human being ever earned it. But Christ earned the glory of God while he was on this earth. The passage deals with the coming Messiah. As I said, notice the Lord will go forth as a man. The man Christ Jesus who came to this earth. He will stir up jealousy, which he did when Herod tried to kill him. And mention that to the wise men. Oh, tell me where this king is so that I may go and work. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. He was jealous that there was another king on the throne. He will prevail over his enemies, the last one being Satan. You need not turn to it, but in that beautiful chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 12, this phrase, He shall divide the spoil. Christ, the coming Messiah, will divide the spoil with the strong. Application, we are in Him. If any man be in Christ, we are in Jesus Christ. His defeated enemies become our defeated enemies. Amen? This is the glory of victory over sin and death and hell and the grave and assures our ultimate glorification and this is the glory he shares with us. There's a man by the name of Charles Gabriel who wrote a song in our hymn book, just a few lines of it. The title of the song is, That Will Be Glory For Me. And the words are these, When all my labors and trials are over, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that that will be glory for me. That's the glory that God the Father gave to the Son and Christ our interceding one is praying, I will give it to those who come to me. And we have that glory. It is in Him the Lord Jesus Christ. That verse also 22 tells us that we're equal in Christ Jesus by three words. We are one. Let me turn back quickly to it in John 17, verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one. We're equal. We're all equal. 
Not when we live independently on this earth. Some people have more than others. Some people can do more than others. Some people have that, so forth. No, we're all equal in Christ Jesus. It is not the Pope. It's not the bishop. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the important people. And we're all equal in Jesus Christ. This prayer is not just for strong believers. It is for all believers He's praying for you. All believers are equally redeemed in Christ Jesus. We're all equally justified. We're all equally sanctified. And we will all be equally glorified. Equal in one in Him. Look at verse number 23. I in them... Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You see here, first of all, the believer's union with God. What he's saying is simply this, Father, you will be in me and I will be in them. Jesus Christ, as he is in the Father, we are in Jesus Christ. Union with the Father. Union with Almighty God. He says it scripturally this way, I in them and thou in me. May I establish, number one, God is in Christ. Only God that ever has been or ever will be is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 For in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling a world unto Himself. The importance is in Christ. God was in Christ. Secondly, Christ is in the believer. God was in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. In Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Where does he live? He lives through his spirit in the believer. God the Father is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. And thirdly, the believer is in Christ. The believer is in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. It won't take me but a moment, I think, to find John chapter 10, since I'm already in John 17. But in John chapter 10, verses number 28 through 29, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Notice that. My hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I am in the Father. 
the Father's in me. The believer is in the Father's hand, and the believer is also in the Son's hand. No man can take away that. And then you find the perfecting in that verse number 23. The perfecting of believers' union with other believers. The scripture says that they may be perfect in one. That's important. Jesus Christ is praying on an intercessory basis for the coming believers that they might all be one. Perfect in one. The word perfect here means finished or completed. We are not there yet, but we shall be. May I remind you that there are thousands of different denominations religiously on planet earth. Now more locally, you have the Baptist, and you have the Church of Christ, and you have the Presbyterians, and you have the Church of Christ, and you got the Pentecostals, and on and on, and some of us are miles apart, aren't we? It doesn't mean that because we belong to a religious organization that we're guaranteed to go to heaven as one of God's children. We've got to come to Christ, not to the church denomination. But it does mean in some of these denominations, God has a people and God has saved some of his people. Oh, don't ever think that the only folk going to go to heaven are Baptist. You might be surprised. I think we will be surprised. When that happens, we'll never know complete perfection on this earth. We will continue to have our divisions and our differences. We will. Sure we will. However, there's coming a day when we shall be perfect in one. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Beloved, we do not know exactly what it's going to be, but we know this, that when he comes again, we're going to be made like him, made like him. And since all believers will be perfect and complete in him, we shall be complete with each other. Not going to be a bunch of Armenians up there. Not going to be a bunch of people who believe you ought to baptize babies up there. No, no. When we get up there, we're all going to believe the same thing. And throughout eternity, praise God for that. Praise God for that. In verse number 23, we also have the quality of God's love for his people. What does it say again in verse 23 of John chapter 17? I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent them, now underscore this church, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The Lord Jesus is speaking to the Father. And he says, Father... I pray that the love that you've given me may be in them. As you have given me that love, as you have given me that love, I give it. The same love. The same love. 
How does love, God love his people? Well, how does the Father love the Lord Jesus Christ? That's how he's going to love us and does love us. The Father loves the Son dearly. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Dear children. Not spoiled brats, <laughs> but dear children. The Father loves the Son eternally. Even so, He loves believers eternally. Jeremiah 31, 3, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. The Father's love, He loves the Son unchangeably. Even so, the Father loves believers unchangeably. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And my dear friends, that's the reason why we're not consumed. Because of the love God has for us as he had for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Listen to this. The same love with which he loves his son. He loves us because we are in him. Now you think about that. Put a sealer there. If I were going to extend this to the 13th sermon, I will give it to you now. 13 sermons. This is 12, and now we're getting ready to go into chapter, or rather into sermon number 13. I'm combining these. Notice our Lord ends the prayer in verses 24 and 25 the same way he began it in verse 1. In verse number 1, he begins the prayer by saying, Father, this is what prayer is. It's the Son talking with the Father. Verse 25 says, verse 24 begins with Father. Verse 25 begins with, O righteous Father. Within hours of the cross and its shame, his thoughts are still upon his believers. It is their welfare he's most interested in and not his own. You know, there's a song that used to be sung, and I really did, I loved it then, I love it now, that when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Isn't that a beautiful song? Let me correct it. Before he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Before the foundations of the world, Another song that speaks clearly of this, He did it all for me. All of the suffering, all of the sorrow, all of the death, all of the shame was for us. That's how much God the Father loves you. You may not be loved by anybody else in the world, but if you belong to Him, God loves you. He hates all workers of iniquity, but he loves his people. Verse number 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. 
that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The blessing of the little one word also. Did you catch it? In verse 24, Father, I will that they also, also, the blessing of also. In the second division of this prayer, which is verses 9 through 19, you remember I pointed out to you that he's asking the Father for three things. It will not labor this, just mention them. He prays for their security in verse 11. He prays for their joy in verse 13. And he prays for their sanctification in verse number 17. Now, as that, that if that were not enough, he said, and there's something else. What else? What else could you possibly think of that you would want than those three things? And yet he does. What is it? The king desires our presence in his chamber. I've been to a lot of important places on this earth. I'm really looking forward one day to being with the king in his chamber. He says that they will be with me where I am. I ask you a question this morning. Where is he? He's at the Father's right hand making intercession for our sins. And one day we're going to be admitted into his chamber with him. I cannot begin to think of how glorious that's going to be. Somebody I said, well, when I get to heaven, I sure want to see my, my wife who went ahead of me, and that's, that's understandable. And I want to see Uncle John and Aunt Susie and all that. Let me t- read you from Revelation chapter 4. You'll know where Revelation is. Just go to the back of the book. You're going to run into it. In chapter number 4, John says, after this, he's writing, Behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice that I heard was as it were as a trumpet talking with me, and said, Come up hither, and I'll show you things which which must be hereafter. And immediately he said, I was in the Spirit. John, the writer of Revelation, is transported from this earth into the chamber, the heavenly chamber we're talking about. And he said, I saw some things up there. And, and I don't have the time to read it all. Read the fourth chapter of John from beginning to end. It's only verses 1 through 11. But it culminates with these words. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are created. If that's not enough... In the Revelation chapter number 5, verses 11, I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts, the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And this is what they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And you're going to join that congregation. That's glory. The purpose of seeing his glory, our glory will be seeing his glory. 
the more he is glorified, we enjoy that. That's wonderful. God the Father enjoys that when people brag on his son. But my dear friends, God's people themselves will be able to rejoice that they're able to brag on the glory of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 25, he begins it by saying, O righteous Father, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. The Son recognizes the Father as righteous. Did you know that whatever God does is right? He cannot do wrong. He cannot tell a lie. And he never fails. God is a sovereign God. And whatever he does is right. However he responds to our prayers. Boy, this one hurts. However he responds to our prayers will always be right, even though we have a tendency to say, well, he sure missed that one all right. No, he doesn't. Everything God does for you is purpose for his honor and for his glory and who he is. We can never complain and find fault with him. The world does not know the God of the Bible. I'm going to speed it up just a little bit now, okay? The world does not know the God of the Bible. The scripture says the world hath not known thee. The world doesn't know who God is. Pharaoh certainly didn't know. And the world does not know. The pantheist says God is nature. The Gnostic says God is knowledge. The humanist says God is man at his best. The mason says he's a grand architect of the universe. The songwriters say he's a man upstairs. The alcoholic says he's whatever man thinks him to be. The world calls him luck and chance and fate. The Epicureans and Stoics said he's unknown. The modernist says he's dead. The Armenian says that he's subject to man's free will. The world doesn't know God. There are very few, very few people who go to church every Sunday who know the God of the Bible. Few know Him as absolute sovereign. He can only be known apart from the revelation that takes place through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To deny the deity of the Son is to advertise infidelity. We're not only called Christians, but we're also called believers. Huh? Because we believe Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but He's also God incarnate. I'm a believer. Verse number 26 the last verse of this intercessory prayer. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. We will never graduate from learning about God because God is inexhaustible. 
That's why heaven is spoken of as a place of eternity. If you think you can figure God out, just hang around for a few eternities. See how it goes. Let me ask you a question. I ask my own heart this. How much have you, as an individual believer, who you are, whoever you are, how much have you learned about God since you were first converted? You will continue to learn about him throughout eternity. S. Lewis Johnson, great teacher of the word of God, was one of our speakers when this church was located over on the Northwest Loop. S. Lewis Johnson said, you'll never know all there is to know about God. You'll never know all there is to know about God. Christ still intercedes for believers today. We were placed into Jesus Christ when we were regenerated and converted. Christ came inside of us and there will never be a time when he will not be there forever and ever and ever. Christ in us. The scripture puts it this way. I in them, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let's stand please for prayer.